The following is message number two of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia on the morning of March 25th, 2017. The title of the message is Guarding the Deposit and Keeping the Faith. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kengis. We know from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that God's will is the source of every positive thing in the universe. All things were created because of God's will. God's will refers to what God wants. God created the universe. God chose us to be holy. God predestinated us unto sonship because he wants something. Even for a human being to really want something is significant. But for God to want something so much that he would create a vast universe and then a situation in which human beings would exist on the earth, this is momentous. And embodied in God's will is his good pleasure, the desire of his heart. So God's will is related to that which will bring delight, enjoyment, happiness, good pleasure, satisfaction to God. So simply stated, the earth exists and we exist not by accident, but because God wants something. And the very fact that you exist indicates you have a part in this. You matter to him. There's an expression in 1 Peter chapter 5 <clears throat> that I love very much. Peter is addressing the sufferings of the believers under God's government. And he encourages them Cast all your anxieties on him, that is on God, for it matters to him concerning you. Everything that matters to you as a human matters to him. Nothing is too small. You exist because God wanted you to be part of his heart's desire. He wanted your life <clears throat> to contribute to the fulfillment of his purpose. Paul opens 2 Timothy by acknowledging he's an apostle through the will of God. In other words, Paul's situation was whatever God wanted, from this point on, for me and my life, I say amen. I didn't choose this. I didn't arrange this. This is God's will. Then there's another reference to God's will in this book, 
Paul is training Timothy in how to deal with opposition. And at the end, okay, uh, at the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 24, he says, But a slave of the Lord ought not to contend, but to be gentle toward all, apt to teach, bearing with wrong, in meekness correcting those who oppose, if perhaps God may give them repentance unto the full knowledge of the truth, and they may return to soberness out of the snare of the devil. The devil has a snare. To snare your mind, your soul, your being. But we do not give up on anyone who has been snared. Rather, Timothy was learning of Paul how to serve others in such a way that they might return to soberness out of the snare of the devil, having been caught alive by him. But then the verse ends, unto his will. Only the Lord knows how many human beings in the U.S., how many young lives have been caught alive by the snare of the devil. But the Lord in his gentleness and his love would like to rescue us and cause us to return to his will. So whatever your personal history has been, whatever your present situation may be now, this morning, the loving God gives you an opportunity to come back to his will. And to come back into a relationship with him in which you say, honestly, Lord, whatever you want. And I long that the parents who have made such a sacrifice to raise up their children would be able to pray, Lord, my prayer for my daughter and my sons is that they would do your will. Amen. That they would want for their lives what you want for their lives. So those who live for God's purpose and who live an overcoming life are those who are brought back into God's will and live in God's will and defer to him praising the Father for the things he planned. And the things he has planned for us are beyond what we would ever expect. And praising him for the portion he assigns. And that line in the hymn is addressed to the Father. We need to realize we not only have a savior, we have a father. 
And certain aspects of our human life and our Christian life are cared for by the Father. Like in Matthew 6, the Lord says, the Father knows you need these things. And recently, I had a conversation with my father. I said, I have a need in this area. It's human. It's not spiritual, it's human. I need you, Father, to take care of this. So the Father is the one with the source, <clears throat> with the will and the purpose. Then based upon God's will with his good pleasure is his purpose, his purposeful determination in his plan with a goal to accomplish something. And we saw at least a little bit that goal is focused on Christ and the church. In Colossians, we see that God's will is that we would experience and enjoy Christ in his all-inclusiveness. That it becomes real to us what we have heard for so many decades. That our Christ is the complete God. He's the perfect man. He's the reality of every positive thing. And what God wants is for you to be happy in Jesus. Yes. I'd like to tell you this morning, I'm happy in Jesus. And I'm happy because of God's will, God's arrangement. Then God's purpose is to have the church as the corporate expression of Christ. And this corporate expression fulfills Genesis 1.26. God's purpose in creating human beings in his image to express him and with his authority to represent him. So to live in God's will and to do God's will is to live in what God wants. And to live for God's purpose is to live by grace and the eternal life for the fulfillment of God's goal, God's plan. <laughs> A further matter regarding the will in relation to one of Paul's motivating factors, the kingdom. And that's what motivated Moses. Moses was a remarkably competent person. And the whole world was before him as the son of Pharaoh. But he realized, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I renounce the glory of Egypt. I join myself to the suffering Hebrews who are slaves for centuries. Amen. Then Hebrews says, he had regard for the reward. Yes. 
You saw beyond the temporary pleasures of sin. He saw the reward of the coming kingdom. And so did Paul, and he wanted Timothy to have this incentive, this motivation. What I want to point out now is the relationship between the will of God and the kingdom of God. And how to live in the will of God leads to living in the kingdom of God. A basic definition of the kingdom of God is that it is a realm where God can do whatever he wants. The kingdom is a realm where God's will is done immediately and absolutely. And in Matthew, the gospel devoted to the kingdom, there are crucial references to God's will. In chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Lord told us to pray for his will to be done on earth. The Lord needs us. Lord, may your will be done in the United States. May your will be done on earth. Then we read the, we saw the verse last night that only those who do the Father's will will enter the kingdom. It's possible to be, possible to be a lawless Christian worker doing what he allows you to do, but never doing what he really wanted you to do. In Matthew 12, toward the end of that chapter, he said, who is my mother and brother and sister? The one who does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. Then in chapter 16, as well as in chapter 10, he talked about taking up the cross and following him. What does that mean? To take up the cross is to take God's will by setting yourself aside. I have to be faithful to you. Being a person in the will of God is not without a price. Even though we're fallen, we still have some amount of freedom in our will to choose things, to make decisions without God. And for the time being, he will allow us to do many things. Eventually, we will give an account. So the will of God is versus the self. We take the will of God by setting the self aside, what my soul wants, what myself wants. This requires that we have a vision, that we have a motive. Why would we be willing to go against the entire trend of the world, which is more and more for the self, unspeakably narcissistic. In the last 20 years or so, our society has become 
just ridden with self. There's a magazine called Self. Maybe eventually there'll be one called Me. <laughs> it's full of pictures of, of whoever is editing it. But I worship the Lord and I thank him for his mercy in saving me from his permissive will, saving me from my own will, and making me willing to choose his will in every matter and everything. In 2015, in May, it was unusual. <clears throat> But I turned out I was rather seriously ill. And I was in the cardiac care unit of St. Joseph's Hospital. And I wasn't sad. I wasn't afraid. But I inquired of the Lord. I said, do you want me to die now? What do you want? If you want me to die now, then I will die now, but I don't think you and the body want me to die anytime soon. <laughs> so I didn't have to plead with him. The hospitalization, the care of the heart, which is ticking quite normally, was a matter of his will. Now, God's will is done and God's purpose is fulfilled by those who live an overcoming life. And by overcoming, we really mean victorious. It is to be a victor, is to be a conqueror. And we tried to point out last night that we do not become overcomers. We do not like make ourselves overcomers. The overcomer is our wonderful Lord Jesus. Amen. And as part of his ministry, a central part right now to produce overcomers. So when I saw this, I realized this is actually quite simple. I'm taking my exercise walk early in the morning and I simply ask the Lord to produce me as an overcomer. Do you think you will say, no, I want you to be defeated. Just ask him, let him do it. But let's consider now from 2 Timothy especially, what it is we're overcoming. And then let me point the way, we'll take the, this message plus two others to develop. What are these overcomers doing? How are they living in a way that we can relate to? Okay. The overcomers in 2 Timothy are overcoming the degradation in the church itself. When Paul was giving his final word of fellowship to the elders from the church in Ephesus, 
He spoke many things. At one point he said, I know that after I leave, wolves will come in and not care for the flock. People will enter into the church with a motive of getting something. And then he also said, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking strange things to get a following. Okay, we're not in a utopia. We're not in an ideal situation. We are in churches composed of human beings just like us. And we have an enemy trying to destroy or at least degrade the church. And the basic factor of this degradation seen in 2 Timothy is the turning away from the apostles' teaching. Toward the end of the book, Paul says the time is coming, and he's referring to believers, they will not endure healthy teaching. They do not want healthy teaching. Rather, they will find teachers, they will pile them up, who will scratch their itching ears. Now, why is it that the apostles' teaching is so central? Okay, there's a flow of thought we need to trace, although I can't give all the verses right now. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, as the God-man, he often was called the teacher. In John 7, he said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. I do not speak my own word, he said in John 12, but what I hear from the Father. So when the Son was here, he did not speak anything out from himself. He took the Father as the source, and he heard the Father, the teaching came from the Father, not from himself. Then in John 16, the Son spoke of the spirit of reality, which is really Christ in resurrection, transfigured to be the life-giving spirit. He said, the spirit of reality will guide you into all the reality. Then he said, the spirit will not speak from himself, but he will receive of mine and declare it to you. Do you see the progress? Here's the son. He is God. Also man. He is teaching. He said, my teaching isn't mine. The word I speak isn't mine. It's the Father's. Then the Spirit comes, and the Spirit doesn't speak His word. The Spirit receives everything from the Son, who receives everything from the Father. Then in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the apostles. And Paul says, 
we have received, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we have received the Spirit of God and we speak the things. Then he said, which things we speak? Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So now the apostles are teaching. But the content of their teaching and the words are not theirs. They're from the Spirit. But the Spirit's words are not from the Spirit. They're from the Son. And the Son's words are not from himself, but from the Father. So the flow is, in God's economy, from the Father to the Son, whose teaching was the Father's teaching, from the Son to the Spirit, from the Spirit to the Apostles. Then Paul says, the words are not words of human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. This is why the Apostles' teaching is the definitive authority and the constitution of our faith. The entire New Testament is a record of the Apostles' teaching. In Acts 2.42, we're told that the 3,000 newly converted and baptized ones continued steadfastly in the Apostles' teaching. Now, if there is a different teaching, and Paul charged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, charge them not to teach differently. If there's a different teaching, where does it come from? It can't come from God, the Son, the Spirit, and the Apostles. So where does it come from? Well, it comes from, apparently, the human mind, especially the intelligent minds, which can devise strange things. But deeper than that, it comes from the self. But the self is mingled with Satan. So it actually comes from Satan. So to abandon the apostles' teaching is to abandon the triune God with his word as the source of truth and to turn to another source, which appears to be an educated, eloquent person, maybe seminary trained, rather charming, maybe charismatic, but it's the self. And one characteristic of lawless, organized Christianity is just pick your man, pick your teaching. You hire him anyway, he's a professional. If he doesn't teach what you like, fire him. If you don't like what they're teaching, go somewhere else. It's a gigantic smorgasbord. But this is the crucial thing. The reason we highly regard the ministry of Brother Nee and Brother Lee is because they brought to us the apostles' teaching. Amen. 
It's not their teaching as mere men. We don't follow persons as mere persons. So there was a massive departure from Paul's ministry, all of Asia. Then there, there was a second matter of the degradation that we need to see. It's not pleasant, but we're living in it. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 1, Paul says this, but know this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, not lovers of good, traitors, reckless, blinded with pride, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having an outward form of godliness, though denying its power, from these also turn away. This is a description of the degraded Christian world. It mentions a form of godliness. Atheists don't have a form of godliness. The ungodly don't have a form of godliness. We are witnessing a shocking degradation of simple humanity, of courtesy, respect, regard. So here we are, there was Timothy, also in that situation. <clears throat> so on the negative side, he had to overcome that by not being a part of it, but by closely following the apostles' teaching, his living, his faith, his love, and his purpose. And now, just very briefly, then we'll come to the outline. What is happening in those who are being produced as overcomers? Okay? I can testify to you that something should be going on. It doesn't have to be completed this morning. But it should be going on. And one aspect of this is in chapter 1, verse 13. Hold a pattern of the healthy words that you have learned from me. In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. One of the characteristics of the prepared bride is her maturity. And a major aspect of her maturity is the full development of her faith and love in a balanced way. What is going to happen in your life with the Lord 
as the years go by and as he leads you on and on in your journey is he will perfect and develop your faith and your love. In Hebrews 12, we are told we need to look away. Look away from every distractive thing unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. When we believed in the Lord, we were able to believe because God infused the believing ability into our spirit. Dead human beings do not have the ability to truly believe in the Lord Jesus. Faith comes from God. God's entire economy is in faith. We live by faith. We stand by faith. We walk by faith. We pray in faith. We speak in faith. So please do not be surprised or dismayed if you find the Lord bringing certain things into your life that are intended to develop and perfect your faith. We know from Luke 18 that when the Lord comes back, he will be looking for a certain kind of faith among the overcomers. And the verse says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, what is that? The Lord tells a parable about a widow. And this widow is being persecuted by an adversary. She's defenseless. So she cries out to a judge. A judge should rule righteously, but this judge is crooked. He's unrighteous and he's inhumane. He, he couldn't care less about the widow. But she keeps coming to him. So finally he says, I admit I'm an unrighteous judge. I don't care about her situation, but she is wearing me out <laughs> by her constant coming. Then, then the Lord said, you can look at Luke 18, the first part. Do you hear what the unrighteous judge says? Then he makes a comparison with God. Will not God vindicate his elect? He will. But when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? What kind of faith? And some of you at this very moment, along with me, this very moment, are in this kind of situation where something that matters so much to you has been on your heart for years. And you have prayed and you have prayed and others have prayed hundreds of times thousands of times, no answer, no action. There seems to be no God, but deep within you realize, and you testify this, 
And this is the developed faith. Even if God does not answer, even if he does not do anything, I justify him before the whole universe. He is righteous, he is faithful, and he is my God. Amen. So it's quite a journey. And then the love also needs to be developed in proportion. The Bible talks about the breastplate of faith and love, so it's proportional. And so for this development, I'm happy to report to you, we're all in Song of Songs. Do you know that Song of Songs is a book of kisses? It begins and ends with kisses. Brothers, you're going to have to kind of get used to this language because we'll be part of the bride. In chapter one, <clears throat> she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So she is expressing much affection. Then in chapter eight, when she's about ready to be raptured, she says to him, when I see you outside, that is outside the realm of the flesh, I'm gonna kiss you. So the divine romance, this heavenly love story, begins and ends with a kiss. In a Song of Songs, you see the development of love. Um, I hope it's okay. We'll both be covered. But my wife and I had the leading from the Lord to write a hymn for the wedding meeting. No, we will not be sung this morning. Okay. But the last stanza, the whole hymn is focused on the Lord and his uh, longing for a bride. The first stanza says that we seek you, dear Lord, out of our love for you, caring for the longing in your heart. We pray for the day when the bride is prepared, made ready as your counterpart. And the last stanza says, we are happy for you, Lord, our lovely bridegroom. We rejoice in this romance divine, awaiting the time when we hear you declare, this beautiful bride is now my. So the overcomers are in this two-track development in the midst of their human situations, whatever they are. Faith is being perfected by a constant infusion of the believing element. When we look away, I was talking in a ministry meeting, especially to the trainees, made an allusion to the Peanuts cartoon. I said, there's no problem so big, you can't look away from it. Just look away unto Jesus. 
his radiance is shining and then he just infuses the believing ability into you. You say, I cannot go on, but you're going on. You say, I, I won't try to speak again, but you speak again. You say, I'm going to stop praying for this, but you keep on praying because the infusion comes. And I was so happy that some artistic trainee put in my box their version of a peanut cartoon with Charlie lying on the ground and Lucy counseling him saying, no problem, it's so big, it can't be looked away from. <laughs> so I just wanted you to have a realization of what has been taking place and will be taking place in your whole life. We all start with a little bit of love for the Lord, especially based upon being forgiven. The Lord says he was forgiven much, loves much. The seed of faith is planted into us. Now the Lord in his heavenly ministry, through the ministry in the body and through the church life, along with our seeking of the Lord, wants to develop our faith and to develop our love until it reaches maturity. Eventually, the love will develop to a sense, to the point where you will sense its power. And I quote a verse now that has been governing us for a number of months. Song of Songs 8.6. Love is as strong as death. A year ago, I was here, two years after my first wife died. Death. Now I'm here 13 days after a wonderful wedding meeting. Love. I bear witness on behalf of God himself. Love is as strong as death. Amen. Nothing. I'll give you the verse. Nothing can defeat a believer who is saturated with the divine love. Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we more than conquer through him who loved us. So we're into things. We're not plucked out just yet. But in all these things, then he invents a Greek word. Okay, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, I know a little bit. He invents a Greek word, huper nikao, you know, Nike. That, com that comes from the Greek nike, it means victor. Nikao is to conquer, and huper is super. So he's saying, in all these things, we super overcome through him who loved us. So if you want to be an overcomer, here's a secret. Let God love you lots. Let him love you. Real men, let God love them. Then this, along with the faith, I assure you, nothing, nothing will defeat it. I look death in, its, in the face, 
Death cannot defeat this. Nothing can conquer us. In all these things, we more than conquer. Now, there are four matters that the overcomers will experience and do through the course of their Christian life. Pause the example of this. Then at the end, we'll be able to speak with finality. And these four things are guarding the deposit, keeping the faith, fighting the good fight, and finishing the course. So based upon the faith and love developing in us, and are closely following the apostles' teaching, we may guard the deposit, keep the faith, fight the good fight, and finish the course. So in message two, we have the outline for guarding the deposit and keeping the faith. And here we have two aspects of the deposit. First is we make a deposit. And the second is God makes a deposit. So point one quotes 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. Not just I know what I have believed. I know whom. Lord Jesus, you are here. We believe in you. Amen. We know you, Lord. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard my deposit unto that day. One characteristic of overcomers is endurance. Hebrews 12 says, run with endurance the race set before us. In Revelation 1.9, Paul says, I am your companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the endurance in Jesus. To the church in Philadelphia, Paul said, you have kept the word of my endurance. The first characteristic of an apostle mentioned in 1 Corinthians is endurance. So unto that day implies our whole life until we meet the Lord. Then in point A, we have a definition of this. The Apostle Paul had committed his entire being with his glorious future unto the one who was able, through his life and grace, to guard the deposit for the day of his second coming. So Paul made a deposit. It's like God himself is the safe deposit box. And Paul made a decision. I will commit my entire being, everything I have, everything and everyone related to me, and I commit my future into your hands, dear Lord. I don't hold anything back. This is my deposit. I am making a deposit. 
I realize, to some extent at least, the thinking of some, when they hear about, oh, if, about consecration, they say, if, if I consecrate myself to the Lord, then I will experience difficult things in my life. So I'd like to be honest with you and assure you that if you consecrate yourself to the Lord, you will experience difficult things in your life. But I must also say, if you do not consecrate to the Lord, you will experience difficult things in your life. Because life is difficult. So, just let me reason with you a little bit. Since it's going to be tough either way, why not let it be tough in the triune God? And especially the future. You know, the young, the late, in your late teenagers or in your early 20s, you may have the thought, I'm actually not, I'm not really living yet. I'm preparing to live. I have a future. So you are living largely in the imagination for the future. Those, those who get really old, they live in memories of the past. I wonder who is living now, just in the present. But it is a most precious thing. Like our dear sister, who testified toward the end of the prophesying, when she said when she was in junior high, she made this commitment. Wasn't that touching? Yes. It is exceedingly precious to the Lord for anyone, but for a young person, someone 12, someone 17, someone 20 years old, to make a deposit, not influenced by anything outward, just drawn by faith and love to say, Lord, I'm going to make a deposit for my whole life, my whole being, my whole future, my marriage, my education, where I live, my health, my finances, any relationship I may have, anything that may happen to me, I deposit to you. <coughs> this was Paul. <coughs> And he knew the person. It was a personal matter. And then he was convinced God is able to guard it. Now, who do you think can do a better job of, perfecting you, of protecting you? Honestly, you or God? Okay. Then, then just tell him that everything that's precious to me I commit to you. That's the basic thought, okay? Then God, through his life and grace, guards a deposit your whole life. When you're in situations, and there will be, there's no way forward, there's no way backward, there's no way out, and you can't bear where you are. The grace and the life bring you through. This is our testimony. That's why it's good to have a real good number of either gray-haired or no-haired saints <laughs> among us that can testify, not of opinions, but testify that this is real. 
They've been here for decades. This is real. Paul believed not in a thing or matter, but a living person, Christ, the son of the living God, who is the embodiment of the divine grace and eternal life. So he's making this deposit into a person. The eternal life in him is powerful. It is more than able to sustain to the end the one who suffers for his sake and to preserve him for the inheritance of the coming glory. Maybe in the sight of God, the last 20 years of Brother Nee's life on earth were the most precious. He almost died when he was young. Heart condition, tuberculosis, <coughs> suffered physically his whole life. There on a subsistence diet, when he was too weak to walk from his cell to the cafeteria, he asked that the food be brought to him. And the guards said, we're not doing this. You get, come and get it yourself. But his roommate, who now is in the church in Anaheim as a dear brother, was brought to the Lord through him. He went to get his food. He ate half of what was given to him and brought the rest back for Brother Nee. But after Brother Nee died, then they found under his pillow a note saying something like this, that Jesus Christ is God incarnated to be a man. For this I lived and for this I died. I maintained my joy. Amen. This brother's life is a testimony to us that the grace and eternal life of the Lord can and will sustain us through to the end. Amen. And if you find it difficult to believe in that because of a situation, it's okay. The body will supply you. The body will pray for you and the body will believe, will believe for you. You're not in this alone. Two, the grace in him was more than sufficient to provide his sent one with all he needed for finishing the course of his ministry unto a reward in glory. I appreciate the humanity of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He had what he called a thorn, a messenger from Satan. It was exceedingly painful. I like how he prayed. He asked for it to go away. Don't be like a superhero. Don't pray, come on, send me a bigger thorn. We don't need any Rambos in the Lord's recovery. <laughs> he prayed, Lord, take it away, no answer. So he prayed a second time, Lord, this is painful. This is interfering with my ministry, take it away. Third time he prayed and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. The Lord didn't just say my grace is sufficient. That's subjective. One day the Lord will speak into you. He will say, my grace is sufficient for you. Amen. 
When he says that, <clears throat> he's saying two things. One, I'm not removing the thorn, but I am supplying the sufficient grace. And the thorn plus the grace will issue in more ministry of life for the whole body. Three says the Lord was able to guard that which the apostle has committed unto him for the day of his return. So we just believe this. We make this deposit for such an assurance should be an encouragement and a comfort to us. The triune God is the most secure place in the universe. Now point two, this is another kind of deposit. We guard the deposit through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. There's a dear brother here was already in the recovery when I came in in 1966. He's been here more than 50 years. I'm not gonna name him. I don't want to, him to feel embarrassed. I can testify on his behalf. He's been faithful all this time. And at a certain point, he went to a far off country to serve there faithfully. I believe my brother will agree with me. We have received a rich deposit from the ministry of the age. Training after training, conference after conference, become as open vessels. And actually, some of you, you know, in middle age and beyond middle age, if you find yourself in Europe, you're gonna make a discovery. There's 10 times more in you than you ever thought was there. You know, you're in Anaheim with all these coworkers and all these people you think, ah, but oh, you get there and you realize, well, look what's flowing out of you, right? I'm looking at two of you right now. I know this is your situation. Your countenance is saying, amen. We have received so much. It's deposited, it's being wrought into our being. We're being saturated with it. The enemy fears Christ constituted people. He would like to damage this. He would like to deprive us of this. And many did not guard the deposit. Some were co-workers, leading co-workers in the late 80s. They're just a mess. One by one, they're passing away in defeat. They didn't guard the deposit. We need to exercise our spirit. We need to be in the word. We need to have a life with the Lord to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, not by your will, but by the indwelling spirit. You exercise your spirit to guard this deposit and let it increase. I believe when we go home tomorrow, we'll all have more deposit in us. This is the deposit that the Lord has entrusted to us in contrast to the deposit that we have entrusted to him. You consider, when the Lord was on earth, he finished his course at 33 and a half. He called a group of young disciples, 
they're probably in their 20s. Even if they were 30, let's admit 31 is quite young. Then he ascends, goes to the heaven, and leaves the entire enterprise to them. To, to, to Peter, to John, to them. 120. This is just God's way. So that's why I was encouraging the trainees. Don't underestimate Christ-constituted young adults. Don't underestimate them. Even Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. That I'm very careful to care for every age. We need saints of every age. But we need, to need one generation after another, just following the Lord's pattern. He left and he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Just disciple all the nations and proclaim the gospel to the entire creation. I'm sending you everywhere and you build up the church and bring in the kingdom, then I'll come back again. And so they're standing up looking as the Lord is disappearing and the angel says, why are you standing there looking up? Go to Jerusalem and pray. So God's way is to entrust a lot to us. Brother Nee has a remarkable message entitled The Limitations of God. And here's the basic thought. This helped me a lot. We know that God is God is omnipotent, meaning he is all powerful. He can do whatever he wills. And he exercised that power and he created the universe. But now God purposely limits himself to our cooperation with him. So he will now do as much as we allow him to do, as much as we are open to him to do. So there's many things he wants to do, but it will wait for us to pray. There are many places he wants to gain, but he'll wait for us to go there. And so he has committed so much to us according to the principle of incarnation. That is, he is now working not by himself alone, but in us, through us, and with us. So in a very real sense, you determine and I determine how much the Lord will gain in you. If you come to him as an open vessel and you pray, Lord, I'd like to cooperate with you. I'd like to be one with you. I'd like your purpose to become my purpose, your desire to become my desire, your heart to become my heart, then eventually we will remove this limitation and whatever the Lord wills to do in heaven will be done on earth through the church that is guarding the deposit and allowing the Lord to flow through them. B, according to verse 13, the deposit here must refer to the deposit of healthy words, including the riches of life in his word, which the Lord has stored in us. How many healthy words? 
I never recruit for the full-time training because I do not feel any young person needs any pressure about following the Lord. The Lord is your shepherd. He will lead you. If the Lord leads you to go to the graduate school, to become a naval pilot, to get a job, that's between you and the Lord. You just follow the Lord. But Brotherly pointed out, two years in the training equals 20 years in the church life. You can get a lot of deposit. Now, if the Lord leads you another way, you'll get a lot of deposit some other way. As long as you're in the Lord's will, you'll be in the maximum, the situation to get the maximum amount. But it's the words that are stored in us. So sometimes I'm aware of this. I prepare part of a message when I'm awake and then the next part of the message is prepared while I'm sleeping and I wake up and now I got the outline. I mean, that's not heroic. There's just the spirit can operate while I'm, oper while I'm oper offering least resistance. He wants to saturate our being with the word. That's why I've got a simple word of exhortation. Read the Bible and read the ministry. Amen. A little every day forever. Amen. If not forever, at least your whole life. Amen. We guard the deposit by the Holy Spirit who dwells in our spirit. Okay, this needs to be real to us. Okay, as you're sitting there. Okay, just consider this. Right now, the Holy Spirit, which is the triune God reaching you, is inside of you. The triune God is inside of you right now. In the deepest part, called your human spirit, <clears throat> there the Holy Spirit is to supply you all the time with whatever you need. It is by this indwelling spirit we guard what has been deposited into us. It's not by a strong will. It's not by a clever mind where you outwit and out-debate others. It's by the spirit in us. Amen. For us to guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit requires that we exercise our spirit. That's why Paul told Timothy Fan the flame of the gift of God. The, the fire's burning right now. The spirit is always burning in you, deep within. But overcomers, they overcome passivity. Spiritual passivity. They exercise the spirit when they don't feel like it. So those of you committed to physical exercise, are you always in the mood? Don't you often exercise out of a decision, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna run 5K or I'm gonna do some weights simply because I choose to do this for my health. At least those my age do it for health. Others might do it to be buffed and to be whatever, you know. But the point is exercise requires 
some decision of the will. No, I'm not going to lie here passive in death. I'm going to fan the flame right now. Then Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of cowardice, indicating Timothy was probably not a bold, courageous person by temperament. But he's in a situation where you cannot be a coward. Overcomers are not cowards. Overcomers do not fear the devil. The devil fears overcomers. Amen. He does, especially female overcomers. I'll tell you. Because he, he started the whole process with a woman. The Lord would say, okay, enemy, use a woman. I'm going to use a woman to bring forth a man-child who will crush you. And, and my wife is going to be a warrior. So we need to be enlightened. The enemy is much more afraid of you. So don't be a coward. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, of love, and of sober-mindedness. Now the last section, I have kept the faith. The faith here is objective, referring to the things in which we believe. It implies our believing in Christ taking his person and his redemptive work as the object of our faith. So we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Jesus is Jehovah God incarnated to be a man. Amen. We believe that Jesus died a redemptive death for us on the cross. We believe that Jesus is not in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. Amen. We believe that Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is our faith. Amen. The God man Jesus is on the throne right now. Amen. We believe in him. Amen. It implies our believing in Christ. Okay. B, a proper Christian life involves keeping the faith for participation in the riches in God's economy. Now we're linking faith to God's economy because Paul does. God's economy is God's plan and arrangement to carry out his purpose by dispensing himself into us. That's the economy. So you have the will, the good pleasure, the purpose. And now the economy is God's plan and arrangement to carry out this purpose by dispensing himself into us to make us the corporate expression of Christ. And so the faith enables us to participate in the riches in God's economy. See, the economy of God is a matter in faith. That is a matter that is initiated and developed in the sphere and element of faith. What does faith mean? Practically speaking, faith means I can't do this. I can't be this. I can't take this and I can't make this but I'm doing all the above by God himself living in me. Faith is versus what you are able to do 
without God. God only asks us to do what's humanly impossible. That's all. Like be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or husbands, love your wives just the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Maybe a young groom of 24 will say, yeah, I'm gonna love my wife that way. Let me check with your wife in six months. <laughs> uh, how's this kind of love going on? So God brought Abraham to the point where he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. And now it's impossible. When God says about a year from now, Sarah's gonna have a child, she's laughing her head off outside the tent. She's just laughing and laughing. The Lord said, I heard you laugh. She said, I wasn't laughing. You were laughing because <laughs> you think this is impossible. But that's what faith is, enabling God to do what is humanly impossible. God's economy, which is to dispense himself into his chosen people, is not a matter in the natural realm, nor in the realm of law. Law is, there's a requirement and then you try to do it, that's law. But in the spiritual sphere of the new creation, through regeneration, by faith in Christ, so God's economy does not depend on what you're able to do in your natural human life. God's economy is in the realm of simply receiving the dispensing by faith. I can tell you, this is how I live. This is how my wife and I prayed this morning, the first minute we were awake. Lord, for your dispensing. We just need your dispensing. I, I think we can all pray like this. It's like you needed food, you need air, you need water, you just say, Lord, I need you. Dispense yourself into me. You don't have to give an elaborate speech. Lord, I know you're quite able to do this, you're omnipotent. Don't give a lecture to God, he knows very well who he is. Just ask him, Lord, saturate me all day today. Amen. Two, by faith, we are born of God to be sons, partaking of his life and nature to express him. By faith, we are put into Christ to become members of his body, sharing all that he is for his expression. This is God's plan, which is carried out in faith according to his New Testament economy. So we keep the faith, that is the content of what we believe, focused on Christ's person and work. And we keep the faith by the exercise of faith, the believing ability imparted into us by the divine dispensing. D says we need to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. When there is a loss of faith in a Christian's life, in every case, it's somehow related to a damaged conscience. 
If someone does not care for his or her conscience, to have a conscience void of offense by receiving light and by confessing in that light and receiving the Lord's forgiveness, faith will leak out. Paul uses the expression, you'll have a shipwreck. This is a very sad thing. And Paul goes on from speaking of a good conscience, that is a conscience without offense because we've cleared up everything under the Lord's shining through his blood. He speaks of a pure conscience and a pure heart. Another characteristic of overcomers is that they are pure. The river of water of life as bright as crystal. As it flows, it purifies our being. And to be pure in heart is to have a heart focused on God and his will. You can tell him, Lord, I love you. I love you first. I seek you and your will, nothing else. The Father knows what I need, so I do not seek what I need. I seek you and your will. Amen. The faith constitutes the things that constitute the gospel. The mystery of the faith is mainly Christ as the mystery of God and the church as the mystery of Christ. So with a pure conscience, we corporately hold up this mystery. We're the testimony to the universe. Christ is the expression of God, the mystery of God. The church is the expression of Christ the mystery of Christ. In order to hold the mystery of the faith, we must have a pure conscience, a conscience purified of any mixture. Now, please don't turn inward and go on a search to try to find things in your being. That's not healthy. The healthy way is to come to the Lord just as you are based upon his redemption. Love him, contact him through the word, open to him. When the light shines, don't resist it. Always agree with light. Don't reason with it. If the light indicates you were wrong in what you said or in your attitude, then you disagree, Lord, I was wrong in my word, in my attitude. If the Lord says you need to forgive someone, don't resist that. There are several hundred here. There may be close to 600 here. Only the Lord knows if each one of us can behold him face to face and say, Lord, I have no offense against anyone. As far as I know, I have forgiven anything and everything. One day I was helped by someone's fellowship. He said, you may want to ask the Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone that has done me wrong that I need to forgive? The main reason when there are turmoils in the recovery, that people leave 
the Lord's recovery, there are two main reasons. Unfulfilled ambition and unforgiven offenses. An overcomer is not a hero, but he receives the Lord's mercy and can say something like this. My brothers and sisters, my only ambition is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. I don't want anything for myself. I only want his will to be done, for the body to be built up, for the bride to be prepared, and for the kingdom to come. And as far as I know, there's nothing remains that I have to forgive. Now the conscience is pure and the heart is pure. And Paul told Timothy, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. These are those who are becoming the overcomers, okay? We all started out the same way, okay? We're all just sinners, a constitution of sin with a history of sins in our conscience. We're all dead in trespasses and sins. We've all been saved by grace. We're now being saved organically by the divine life. And as this life saves us, the river of the water of life flows in us and it purifies us until when our spirit flows out through our soul, it's pure. Our heart is pure. Our conscience is pure. Our church life is pure. This is how the Lord produces overcomers. You don't have to make yourself perfect. Just live as a vessel open to light. Don't resist light. And allow me to say this, <clears throat> don't resist light that comes directly from God. And don't re resist light that comes through any brother who has the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just let the light come. With the light will be love, will be life, will be grace, will be everything you need. And you'll find yourself making a deposit. You would just say, Lord, I'd like to make a deposit today. I'd like to commit my whole life to you. Then the Lord may indicate, and I would like to make a deposit. I would like to work myself into you and ask you to guard this deposit while I guard your deposit and keep the faith, stay in the realm of God's economy. Don't try to be anything. Don't try to do anything. Let me do everything. Let me be everything. Let me live in you the overcoming life. You will live in the will of God. You will live for the purpose of God. And the Lord will sustain you your whole life until that day when we see him and he says, well done. Amen. So please direct us in the sharing from this point on.